Welcome to Letter to Philippi Live, our daily broadcast looking at the Paul's letter to the people of Philippi, the letter to the Philippians, and we continue our study day, day through uh, Monday through Friday at 12 p.m. Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, 10 p.m. Jerusalem time, and we continue our study through Paul's letter to Philippi. We'll be continuing through the and completing the Messianic hymn of chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. And we've been looking at the, this Messianic hymn, as we said earlier, this is one of the first Messianic pieces of liturgy or song or hymn acknowledging Yeshua's humble entry into our world as the divine Messiah, his life of humility, his death, his humble death on the the Roman stake on the Roman cross for our redemption, the death of a slave. And now we've we've moved in to his future exaltation as King Messiah and Lord of Lords and King of Kings. In that day when he returns, may it be soon. May we be blessed to see that day when, when Mashiach returns, when the end of, of suffering comes and the entering of life eternal begins. So again, this is Letter to Philippi Live. This is an initiative of Letter to Philippi, a new Messianic theological teaching organization, of which I'm the founder and I'm the teacher of this class. And this is now our third time this year going through the Letter to Philippi. And uh, we will continue a daily teaching in this, in this letter from Paul, the people of, of Philippi, which has so many important lessons to teach us as living our lives as following the Jewish Messiah and living our lives as Messianic Jews and those from the nations who have joined with the people of Israel. As we look into this, this small letter, there's four chapters, 103 verses, but each of these verses are, are really filled with some important teachings of how to live, as Paul calls it to be, to become in Messiah, or as I say, to become more and more and more in Messiah. And we can learn that from this little book. And that is the, the basis of, of our, our work at this point. This is our first initiative. Our second initiative we started was our Messianic Jewish Review of Books, which I'll, I'll be looking to add at least two reviews of books by Messianic Jewish authors and also from the academic world that focus on, that are usable in our understanding of Messianic Jewish theology and building our understanding of our faith as following the Jewish Messiah within Judaism, within the people of Israel, and honoring the God of Israel and the Messiah of Israel, Yeshua, our righteous Messiah. If you want any more information on Letter to Philippi, go to lettertophilippi.org, and there you can watch previous class videos. You can purchase a copy of my Messianic Commentary, which is the basis for this class. You can ask any questions you want. You can leave a prayer request. We'll be praying for you. You can make a contribution to our work there, either a one-time contribution or an ongoing contribution. We truly appreciate that as we are an independent organization and we are dependent on those who, who watch our classes, those who purchase our books, to support our work financially. And we, as I said, we're independent. We don't have any organization supporting us. So your contribution, especially as we come to the end of this year, look to expand our work into 2022. We truly appreciate it if you would consider a contribution to the work of Letter to Philippi. You can do all of that 
get all the information you want at letterdefilipi.org, and we'll be continuing to add to the to the content that we have available for you there. So today we'll be concluding the Messianic hymn, Philippians 2, 10 through 11. Looking forward to that glorious day when every knee will bow and, and give honor to Yeshua as the Messiah and Lord of Lords, the Kurios Kurion, the, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We'll give him the word of prayer and then we'll look into these final verses as we look forward to that day when Messiah will be acknowledged as King by all that has ever lived, both in the seen world and the unseen world. Oh Lord, you're good. We thank you today for Messiah Yeshua, who is our life. We thank you, Lord, for all of your goodness toward the Jewish people throughout history. And today, as we conclude, conclude Hanukkah, Lord, we, we look back to your, your empowering the Maccabees, the stand for your Torah and the stand for, for Jewish life and empower them to defeat the greater enemy over them, the, the powers of, of the, the Greek Syrians. By your mighty hand, like you brought Israel out of Egypt, you, your mighty hand again helped the Maccabees to, to stave off, off those who sought to destroy Judaism and Jewish life and to reestablish Torah living so that we can continue today to be following the God of Israel in the path of Jewish life and Torah life. We thank you for this, Taylor. We thank you for these words from your holy servant, Paul, that will, are giving honor to you. You who's, who, as, as, uh, as Dr. Stern said, you who are so magnificent that you are beyond the natural use of language, that we can, we can only... We can only try to create words to describe your greatness, which is beyond our means. But with all that we have, we give you glory, for you are our God, you are a king. And now, Lord, may we come to, to become more like you and be more like the Messiah, become more and more in the Messiah today. As we look at these words to your, your day when you will come to bring the end of suffering and to bring in life eternal, to bring in the world to come. We pray this in the name of Yeshua, the name which is above all names. Amen. So today we'll be concluding the Messianic hymn. For those who are just joining us, we'll be looking at Philippians 2, verses 10 through 11, the final verses of what's called the Messianic hymn or the hymn to Christ in the academic world. The the 6th through the 11th verse of chapter 2 of Paul's letter to Philippi, or more commonly known as Philippians. So we'll be looking at, uh, we were looking at verses 10 through 11 today, so I'll put our verses up on our screen here, and we'll read them, and we'll, then we'll get into our study. That in honor of the name given Yeshua, Every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Yeshua the Messiah is Adonai, to the glory of God the Father. Let me read that again. That in honor of the name given Yeshua, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge 
that Yeshua the Messiah is Adonai to the glory of God the Father. We come, as I said, to these final, these final verses of the Messianic hymn, which is the earliest Messianic liturgical piece. It's understood that this was actually composed in the Jerusalem Messianic community, composed in Aramaic. And Rav Shaul here, the Apostle Paul, translated in Greek for inclusion in this letter. Understood that way, this becomes one of the earliest Messianic Jewish liturgical pieces a part of the, the the prayer life of the Messianic Jewish community in Jerusalem. And now Paul is sharing with those in Philippi these words, this Messianic hymn, this praise song to Yeshua, as I said, written over 1900 years before for Dr. Stuart Dowerman, started writing songs for the Liberated Wailing Wall, or Joel Chernoff, or Joel Wilbur, were, were, were writing songs over 1900 years before the modern messianic hymns that's, that, that Rabbi Dowerman wrote. We here have a messianic hymn by messianic Jews about the divine nature of Yeshua, his humble coming into our world, his death on the Roman cross, his, exalt, his resurrection and exaltation to heaven, and now that looking toward that final day when he brings the messianic kingdom and life eternal. Where all who put their faith trust in Yeshua, that day when every knee will bow before him and acknowledge his lordship. First, we look at, we're going to look at the phrase, every knee will bow and every tongue will acknowledge. In verses 10 and 11, we can see an application of Isaiah 45, 23. For context, let's look at verses 22 through 25. The the text from the Hebrew Bible that is, that is behind this, this hymn is, is from Isaiah 45, specifically verse 23, where it talks about the all knees bound before the one God of Israel. And we'll look at that for context. We'll look today at verse 22 through 25, which reads, Look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God. There is no other. In the name of myself I have sworn, for my mouth has rightly gone out, a word that will not return, that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear about me that only in Adonai are justice and strength. All who rage against him will come to him ashamed, but all the descendants of Israel will find justice and glory in Adonai. Read that again. Those are powerful words. This is the God of Israel speaking clearly in Isaiah 45, the one God of Israel. Look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, there is no other. In the name of myself I have sworn, for my mouth has rightly gone out, a word that will not return, that to me every knee will bow, and every tongue will swear, about me, that only in Adonai are justice and strength. All who rage against him will come to him ashamed, but all the descendants of Israel will find justice and glory in Adonai. In this passage from Isaiah 45, is clearly a monotheistic passage where the one God of Israel 
is speaking of his rulership overall. It's clear, it's clear in this passage, this is, this is Adonai, the one God of Israel speaking, and understood in, within the monotheistic, the monotheistic faith of Judaism, the, the, the understanding of, of there being only one living and true God. Here is speaking in Isaiah 45, speaking about his place as the one to which all, all glory and praise is due. Paul here applies this passage to, his, to Yeshua as an acknowledgement of the Lordship of the Messiah. Paul here is expressly teaching the divine nature of the Messiah. And given Paul's belief in the unity of the God of Israel, grounded in the Shema, this belief has been called binitarian monotheism. That there was one God, monotheism, but in here we see that the one God is understood to include the Father, the one God of Israel from the Tanakh, and Yeshua, our righteous Messiah, as one God, the one God of Israel with two, with two, two persons, the Father and the Son. And this is something that, uh, that we see from the works of Larry Hurtado. He talks about binitarian monotheism the one god of israel is understood as being the father and yeshua righteous messiah given that isaiah 45 clearly is about the one god of israel paul's use of isaiah's language in the hymn referring to yeshua makes clear that yeshua bears the place of cosmic lord in union with the father whereas the greek word kurios or kurios can be just a title of respect for a human, kurios being the Greek word that is, is translated, translated as Lord. So it can be just like a title, like sir, or, or, or like, for example, a, a, a title of, of, a, of, a, uh, of a foreign dignitary, you know, that would be the Lord Chamberlain or something that is just that the, the use of this word kurios is just a title. It can just it can just be a title. You know, as I said, like like you know, Captain Smith, you know, Admiral Wilson, you know, Lord, Lord Chamberlain. But the implication here is that Paul is making clear that Yeshua is the one God of Israel that became part of the created order, with its connection to Isaiah forty five, which is clearly a monotheistic passage. Speaking of the God of Israel in the Tanakh as the one who is the only one to which the bowing of the knees is due. In this hymn, we see Paul, Paul's understanding and using it as a way of, of uniting Yeshua with the one God of Israel, that, that the unity of the one God of Israel is a complex unity, whereas Hurtado called it a binitarian of Benetarian monotheism. In the words, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, we see an expansion of the rulership of Yeshua beyond Israel as the Messiah of Israel, his expansion of, of his rulership over the nations to become the universal cosmic Lord, the co that his, his become ruler at a cosmic scale, not not just the Messiah of Israel, not just the Savior of Israel, but now 
the the savior of the world, the universal cosmic Lord. Where Yeshua's reign rulership includes the complete created order, the unseen spiritual world of the heavens, the underworld, and those living on this world. That there are gods or spiritual powers throughout the created order may seem foreign to modern readers, but have been common for those reading the letters in Philippi. This discussion here with Paul is speaking of, of that, that the, all those on earth, all those who have ever lived on earth, plus plus the plus those in the heavenlings and the underworld, all all both the seen and unseen, the physical and the spiritual world would all at one time acknowledge the messiahship and lordship of Yeshua. And I said this concept of of the the the, the spiritual spirit world, the underworld, and and those in the heavenlies are not as common in our modern thinking today, but would have been common to the understanding of the people in Philippi. And biblical scholar Keener wrote, Greeks worship gods in the heavens, earth, sea, and underworld. Traditional Greek mythology also placed the shadow existence of departed souls in the underworld. Paul announces that whatever categories of being there are, they must acknowledge Messiah's role because he is exalted above them. One often bowed the knee and obeisance before a ruler of deity. So here we see 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 Keener, Philosopher Keener, making clear that the Greek reader, the people of Philippi reading this, would be familiar with the Greek mythology of the of the underworld and this and a concept of of, of spiritual 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 beings in the heavens and below the earth. And Paul here is is making sure that they understand that everything that has ever existed, both seen and unseen, physical and spiritual, will one day acknowledge Yeshua as Lord, that everything that has ever existed, all of creation, will one day acknowledge the, the rulership and eternal messiahship of Yeshua, our righteous Messiah. According to the complete Jewish study Bible, the three locations of heaven, earth, and under the earth refer to the angelic, human, and demonic realms, respectively. As we see in the command to have no other gods in Exodus 20, verse 3, but throughout the scriptures, as acknowledgement of the sole place of worship to be given to the one God of Israel, Paul radically teaches that Yeshua stands within Israel's monotheistic faith and shares in the divine worship that belongs only to the one God of Israel. Speaking as an observant Jew who is cognizant that worship is reserved only for the one God of Israel, as seen throughout the Tanakh, Paul nevertheless makes clear in his assertion of Yeshua's divine status by referring to every knee bowing to Yeshua at the end of days. Let's just let's just look at that again. Paul here, as an observant Jew, understood that only to the one God of Israel is this worship due. But Paul nevertheless makes a clear, a clear assertion that Yeshua's divine status is one with the one God of Israel, that every knee will bow to Yeshua at the end of the days, acknowledge his place as one with the one God of Israel, that Yeshua 
is the Jewish Messiah, the savior of the, of the, of the Jewish world, and the cosmic Lord of the nations. Though it is in Yeshua, though it is Yeshua who receives the in days acknowledgement of lordship, it is still to the glory of God the Father. There is a sense of subordination of Yeshua to the Father, though it is not. Though it is also clear that this subordination does not preclude the understanding of Paul Hilfel's unity and equality of Yeshua with the Father. Ultimately, all of the created order will acknowledge the lordship of Yeshua. Both Yeshua followers, like me and those of you who are followers of Yeshua, who will bend the knee with great joy and worship King Messiah, as well as the non-followers of Yeshua, who will bow in acknowledgement of Yeshua's place as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, some with joy, like those of us who follow the Messiah, those who have committed our lives to the God of Israel and the Messiah of Israel, some with joy, joy unspeakable, and some with great sadness as they had, had not acknowledged Yeshua as Messiah and Lord in their life. But every day, everyone will recognize all creation, seen and unseen, will acknowledge Messiah Yeshua is as Adonai as the one, the ruler of all, the king of all. Both the seen and the unseen opponents of Yeshua and his, fo and his followers will know and acknowledge Yeshua and will vindicate the faith of followers who have faced persecution from these opponents. In this bowing by everyone to acknowledge Messiah Yeshua, it will, it will be a vindication of those who have, have been persecuted and suffered for the Messiah, that in that day, their trust in, in him, their faith in Yeshua will be acknowledged by all, those who oppose the Messiah, those who sought to destroy the work of Messiah in the world, will one day acknowledge his place as Lord and will, will, will show acknowledgement of the faith of those who were willing to suffer and to even die for the Messiah's sake. As all knees bow with the name given to Yeshua, the full acknowledgement of the Lord Yeshua over all creation will be clear. Uh, Jewish scholar uh, Paula Fredrickson saw in this verse the whole created order, even the dark cosmic powers, bending the knee represent their turn to God and Yeshua at the end of days. So Fredrickson here says, sees in this in this final final bowing of the knees of all both both seen and unseen the righteous and the unrighteous those who follow the Messiah those who rejected him would be a, a universal acknowledgement a universal salvation for them as this as this final day of of uh, a final day for all to to acknowledge Yeshua as Lord and as Master. Which was which would basically be a universalistic understanding that all all will eventually come to acknowledge Yeshua, and they will all receive the atonement that He provides. But we can see, in contrast to this understanding that Fredrickson offers, that in Isaiah forty-five it makes clear that there is that there is a choice to be made. 
and that there will be those that all will bow before, but it's only the faithful who stand justified when the others are shamed. So, I, uh, so looking at Isaiah 45, it makes clear that though everyone will bow before the God of Israel, there will be those who will who have been faithful who will stand justified, and there will those who will be shamed for their rejection of the one God of Israel. So there is a choice to be made in this life, and uh, to decide: do, Are you going to follow the God of Israel? Are you going to follow the Messiah of Israel? And at this time, at this final day, there will be acknowledgement by all, but there will only be the joy for those who had previously put their faith trust, put their devoted their lives to the God of Israel and the Messiah of Israel. Will see that that day, that unending joy of the world to come. This this exaltation of Yeshua and the universal bowing of the knees by the whole the created order, is directly related to Yeshua being faithful to the divine plan. Because of Yeshua's profound act of humility, accepting death on the Roman stake, all of the created order will bow him to him and acknowledge him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Through this faithfulness of Yeshua leading to his universal acknowledgement of lordship, Paul unites the suffering servant of Isaiah 52-53 and the bowing of the knees before the one God of Israel in Isaiah 45-23 in the person of Yeshua, according to James Ware, who sees a connection between the suffering servant of Isaiah 52-53 and the universal acknowledgement the final day of Messiah Yeshua's lordship over all. And this is what Biblical James Ware wrote, The Christ hymn thus reflects a connected reading of the latter part of Isaiah, in which the eschatological reign of God over the nations, envisaged in Isaiah 45, 18-25, is understood as the outcome of the suffering and exaltation of the servant in Isaiah 52, 13-53, 12 identified with the crucified, risen, and glorified Jesus Christ. So we see here that that uh, James Ware, biblical scholar James Ware, brings together the suffering servant of Isaiah 52, that because of the, of the work of the suffering servant, he would also be the one to be acknowledged in Isaiah 45. So you see the connection between these verses, these sections of the the suffering of the Messiah and his glorification, a, 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 a look at the, the two understanding of Messiah, Mash, Mashiach ben Yosef, the suffering servant, the one who would suffer and die for atonement, but would rise from the dead, and Mashiach ben David, the conquering king, Messiah, to which all nations will acknowledge his rulership. And we and where brings these two pictures together Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David, into the one person Yeshua, that it in because of his his willingness to suffer and die as the as a suffering Messiah, he was worthy to be the one to become the Davidic Messiah, Mashiach ben David, the one who would rule and reign, to which all the 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 created order would one day acknowledge.
Next, we come to the phrase, Yeshua, the Messiah, is Adonai. It is in verse 11 that we see the prophetic word about a coming day when all of the created order acknowledge the Messiahship and the universal lordship of Yeshua. Paul stresses the critical place that Yeshua plays as the one to whom the Philippians were to focus their worship. In the context of Jewish monotheistic faith, there was only one God to whom reverence was due, and this was the one God of Israel made manifest to Abraham and his descendants. The Greek word kurios or kurios, meaning Lord, which Dr. Stern in his, his translation translated as Adonai, the, 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 the Hebrew word that is, is used in place of the tetragrammaton of the yud vav of the unspoken name of God in, in Jewish literature that, that uh, and, and, and Dr. Stern took that into his translation of the complete Jewish Bible and the Jewish New Testament. The word kurios is, is translated, the word, the word Adonai, the word Adonai, the, the unspoken name of God in Hebrew, Yutevahe, is, is used over 6,000 times in the Hebrew Bible and translated into, through the Septuagint using the Hebrew, using the Greek word. Curious. So there are 6,000 times in the Septuagint the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible where the, the rabbis who translated it took the divine name of God, the Yutevahe, and, tra- and translated into Greek using the word kurios. 6,000 times the unspoken name of the God of Israel was written, was, was translated by the rabbis who put together the Septuagint. Into using the word kurios. Use of the substitute name kurios in Greek or Adonai in Hebrew is based on Jewish tradition and practice grounded in the Talmud in Pesachim 50a, which prohibit the pronunciation of the divine name is written in Hebrew. Paul's use of kurios in this passage of Yeshua is an affirmation of, of Yeshua's deity, that the most widely used title for the one God of Israel. Most, most commonly used word for the one God of Israel in the Septuagint is now being applied to Yeshua. That the, the unspoken name of God, the Yutevahe, was translated 6,000 times by the rabbis into the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, when, when there was the, the use of the divine name, the rabbis translated into the word kurios. So we see a connection here clearly that there was understanding of a connection between the Greek word kurios and the divine name, the name of the one God of Israel. And Paul here, in speaking of Yeshua as, as kurios, as Lord, is showing a deep connection in his understanding with the understanding of those who put together, who, of the rabbis who formed the translation of, of the of the Tanakh into Greek this word kurios is the is the way of understanding is the word translated from the divine name 
Yeshua is worthy of this, of this worship because of his place as the bearer of the divine name and as his position as Lord. It is, is, it, it, it is as the Lord and one God of Israel that Yeshua is due worship and as the proper focus of prayer, especially in context of Paul's monotheism grounded in the Shema. In using Kurios to refer to Yeshua, Paul demonstrates what Paula Fredrickson, Jewish biblical scholar, Jewish New Testament scholar, Jewish Pauline scholar, called radical binitarianism. We saw earlier earlier with with Larry Hurtado speaking of of, of binitarian binitarian monotheism, and we see here that that Fredrickson refers to the the same concept using the phrase radical binitarianism. This radical binitarianism reimagining of Jewish monotheism that allowed for the one God of Israel to include both the Father and Yeshua, the divine Son. This reimagining of the oneness of the God of Israel highlights that, that at the core of Jewish monotheism is the devotion to the one God. Paul teaches that the Father and now Yeshua are bearers of the divine name, showing that there's only one God and they share the one divine name of the God of Israel. In his three-volume Systematic Theology, Wolfhart Pannenberg wrote about how Yeshua finds his place within Jewish monotheism. Quote, the title Kurios implies the full deity of the Son. In the Confession of Thomas in John 20, 28, the titles God and Lord are expressly set alongside one another. Yet the Son is not curious in competition with the Father, but in honor of the Father. The confession of Jesus Christ as the one and only curious in no way weakens the confession of the one God. The former confession is so related to the latter that all things proceed from the one God, the Father but all are mediated through the one Kurios, Yeshua, a righteous Messiah. As the bearer of the divine name, Yeshua takes his place as sovereign over the created universe as the one to whom all knees will bow and vow allegiance. The importance of Paul referring to Yeshua as Lord is making clear his place as the one ruler of all. And biblical scholar Odin wrote that Jesus is Lord means that all alternative pretensions to power are finally reduced to nothingness. Those are powerful words. That Yeshua is Lord means that all alternative pretensions to power are finally reduced to nothingness. Yeshua's bear the name of the one God of Israel. It's not just a God or a Lord. He is the bearer of the divine name, reduces all other authorities, whether the gods of the nations or any worldly rulers to nothingness. In this affirmation, Yeshua is Lord. Yeshua is the sole ruler of the cosmos and the only one that is worthy to receive worship in the bidding of the knees. Either voluntary for followers of Yeshua or involuntary for those who were not followers of Yeshua, either way it will be Yeshua, Messiah of Israel, the whole created order, worships as Lord of Lords, Kurios Kurion, the one due allegiance, reverence, and adoration. 
not only is Yeshua declared as deity, the one God of Israel that came to the world, Yeshua is also acknowledged as the sovereign ruler of all. He is the sole God who is Lord of all, to whom all of the created order owes allegiance. Not only is Paul making a profound religious declaration, acknowledging Yeshua the Messiah as bearing the name of the one God of Israel, an especially profound statement for an observant Jew. But as we said earlier, but in the light of the Roman world of his time, Paul here clearly makes an intense and dangerous political statement. Yeshua is Lord and Nero is not. Paul here contrasts his call to allegiance of the true Lord Yeshua in contrast to the expected allegiance of the false Lord Nero and emphasized to the Philippians the cost of their faith in Yeshua. The declaration of Yeshua's lordship was a statement in direct defiance of the emperor cult and the honor due to Nero as the Roman Empire. So in this, Paul is making clear to the Philippians that, and us by example, that in acknowledging Yeshua's Lord, along with making an intense religious statement that there is only one God and Yeshua is the Messiah, they're also making a dangerous political statement saying Yeshua is Lord and Nero is not. What is easily lost focusing on Yeshua's exaltation worship is cosmic Lord is the acknowledgement of his place of the Jewish Messiah. Much of Christian theology focuses solely on Yeshua as the cosmic Lord of the universe and Savior of the now multinational people of God. With recognition of his role as the Jewish Messiah and Savior of the Jewish people, mainly relegated to apologetic and evangelical evangelistic purposes. For example, citing Yeshua as the culmination and fulfillment of the Tanakhs, the Old Testament's Messianic prophecies. Sometimes Yeshua is stripped of his Jewish connection altogether. But the Yeshua's place as the, as the Jewish Messiah is intrinsic to his role as the cosmic Lord of all. Yeshua's most basic claim of being the cosmic Lord, the one to bear the name of the one God of Israel, is grounded in his first and foremost being, the Messiah of Israel. As Rabbi Sam, Sam Nadler wrote, the new covenant presents Yeshua as the Jewish Messiah. If he's not the Jewish Messiah, then no one should believe in him because his credentials to be the savior of the world is based on his credentials as the Messiah of Israel. Let me read this again. This is, this is your power words that, that, uh, that Rabbi Nadler gives us here. The new covenant presents Yeshua as the Jewish Messiah. If he's not the Jewish Messiah, then no one should believe in him because his credentials to be the savior of the world is based on credentials as the Messiah of Israel. Yeshua is first and foremost the Jewish Messiah, the one to fulfill all the Messianic prophecies and hopes of the Jewish people. The starting point of Yeshua's place as the Lord of all comes from being the fulfillment of David's promise of an eternal heir to his throne. In fact, the greatest heir and final Davidic king. As Messiah, the king and savior of the Jewish people, Yeshua has the sole right to be the cosmic Lord of the whole created order, both seen and unseen. The right to rulership by Yeshua is grounded in his role fulfilling the promises made to Abraham, which said the Jewish people will be blessed as well as those nations who bless the Jewish people. The Abraham promise, in turn, was fulfilled in the promise to David 
of an eternal messianic Davidic king who ultimately reign over Jew and Gentile. In Romans 9, 4 through 5, Paul asserted God's plan in cultivating and loving the Jewish people through whom we would bring the promise and reality of the Jewish Messiah. And this is from, from Romans 9, 4 through 5. The people of Israel, they were made God's children. The Shekinah has been with them. The covenants are theirs. Likewise, the giving of the Torah, the temple service, and the promises. The patriarchs are theirs. From them, as far as the physical descent is concerned, came the Messiah, who is over all, praised Mount and I forever. Amen. The starting point for Yeshua to be the Savior of the cosmos and cosmic Lord of the nations begins first with his prophetic fulfillment of the promises made to the Jewish people. God's love for the world he created was extended out from Israel to the nations of the world. Paul further put forward that the ultimate fulfillment was Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah, the bearer initiator of the good news, which is earlier in Paul's letter to Rome, where he spoke of the Jewish priority of the good news, the extension to the Gentile world. In Romans 1.16 we read, the good news is God's powerful means of salvation bringing salvation to everyone who keeps on trusting, to the Jew specifically, but equally to the Gentile. John F. Walford, a biblical scholar, helped us to clarify the role of Yeshua in God's plan for redemption and divine rulership of the Messiah when he wrote, From the standpoint of God's divine election, Israel is the key, and through Israel God was to fulfill his purposes, whether redemption political or eschatological. We see here that, that it is key to his place as the one to, to bear the divine name and the one to all these will bow because Yeshua was first and foremost the savior of the Jewish people, the Messiah of Israel. Only as the Messiah of Israel could, there, could he bring hope and life to the nations of the world. He could only be the cosmic Lord, the, the, the cosmic savior first and foremost, as he fulfilled the promises to Avraham. And we conclude, conclude this look at the, and this again, looking at the, at the final phrase, to the glory of God the Father. God the Father grants to Yeshua the divine name when he is declared to be Adonai, the Lord of all. Yeshua has not displaced the Father, but now shares with him in the divine name. The worship and praise we offer to Yeshua's Lord for the glory of God the Father. Rather than taking the place of God the Father in this closing line of the hymn, we see the acknowledgement that Yeshua receives the honor due only to the one God of Israel. As he is one with the Father, this place of Yeshua is from the Father and not something taken, to, taken by Yeshua in a cosmic coup or replacement of the God of the Tanakh. The exaltation of Yeshua by the Father is related to the vision of Daniel in chapter 7. In verse 9, we see that there are two thrones, one for the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and one for the Son of Man, Yeshua the Messiah. Later in verse 13 and 14, the Ancient of Days grants eternal universal relationship, rulership, to the Son of Man in line with this exaltation of Yeshua by the Father, read about here in Philippians. 
So we can see in this in this acknowledgement of Yeshua as Lord, it is for the glory of, of God the Father. It was for the, the glory, not for some, as I said, in some kind of, of cosmic coup that somehow Yeshua replaced the God of Israel. But he he is one with the God of Israel. And as we see in, in Daniel's vision, chapter seven, that the ancient of days was was there to give the rulership to the Son of Man in line with this exaltation of Yeshua in the Messianic hymn. So in these in these last two verses of the Messianic hymn, we see the powerful day, one day when Yeshua will return and he will be acknowledged by all that has ever lived, both seen and unseen, physical and spiritual, everything, everyone, and every 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 entity will acknowledge Yeshua as Lord, will acknowledge his place as, as the Messiah of Israel and as the cosmic Lord of the universe. And this day, may it come soonly, soon, we look forward to this, that the Messiah who came humbling to our world, who came in this world as a baby, as we'll, as our, our as our Christian friends will be celebrating later this month at Christmas time, the coming of 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 the the Lord of the universe, born as a baby in humble settings in Bethlehem, to live his life in humility, to die the death of a slave, to rise from the dead, and one day to return and be acknowledged as Messiah and Lord by all. That is something that we see in these short six verses of, of, of Philippians, the Messianic hymn, in this liturgical piece, honoring Messiah Yeshua. We see this powerful teaching. And may we look to, forward to that day when we will joyfully acknowledge the Messiahship and Lordship of Yeshua overall. And may we seek to make Messiah known that more people will join us on that glorious day when Yeshua returns, when he begins his eternal reign as the Mashiach ben David, as the one, the one who is worthy to sit on David's throne for all eternity, the one who has brought atonement as Mashiach ben Yosef and will soon return to rule and to reign as Mashiach ben David. May we may be ready for that. May we look to that. And may we, as always, as we look at what Paul teaches, that each day we see to become more and more and more in the Messiah. So that will conclude our, our teaching today as we looked at Philippians 2, 10 through 11, the concluding verses of the Messianic hymn, these concluding words speaking about the acknowledgement that Yeshua will be acknowledged as Lord as the one to bear the divine name, and as the title of the class, that, that one day when, as Dr. Stern translated, the Messiah Yeshua will be acknowledged as Adonai, that, there, that the knees will bend the knowledge of Messiah Yeshua as Adonai, as the Lord of all, the bearer of the divine name. So thank you for watching today. That will conclude our time for today. It's a little longer, but this is important to to do these two verses together and uh, tomorrow we'll be looking at Paul's call to living the new life in Messiah after speaking about the example of Messiah and his life and death resurrection 
and his soon return. Paul now will be talking to people of Philippi about living their life, their new life in Messiah, that they have come to acknowledge Yeshua as Lord. They have put themselves under the Lordship of Yeshua. And now Paul calls them to continue to live their lives, to model Messiah each day. And for us to follow, follow the example too, to become more and more and more in the Messiah each day. We'll be looking at that tomorrow as we continue our study, looking at verses 12 through 18, which I entitled Paul's Call to Living the New Life in Messiah. So thank you for watching. Again, this is Letter to Philippi Live, a daily broadcast, Monday through Friday, 12 p.m. Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 p.m. Jerusalem Time, and we are streaming on Facebook Live, Instagram Live, Twitter Live, YouTube Live, and on our website, lettertophilippi.org. If you have any questions, want to leave a prayer request, want to make a contribution to our work, you want to purchase a copy of my commentary, go to lettertophilippi.org, and uh, we'll be able to, to service you there. Again, if you have any questions, leave them on our contact page. If you have any prayer requests, we'll be praying for you. Leave your prayer request there. We truly appreciate if you consider a financial contribution to our work as we can conclude this first year of our work and look to expand our work into 2022. We truly appreciate whatever you can give toward our work. We appreciate your prayers for the work of, of Letter to Philippi as we continue to teach these words from Paul's Letter to Philippi and also to expand out our, our teaching on um, a 21st century messianic of Jewish theology. So thank you for watching. Again, go to letterphilippi.org, and we will see you tomorrow as we continue our study through Paul's Letter to Philippi on Letter to Philippi Live. My name is Sean Imsley. I'm the founder of, of lettertophilippi.org and the teacher of this class. Thank you for watching. And uh, it's, it's, it's still still is Hanukkah until Sunday tonight. So Hanukkah Sameach for those celebrating Hanukkah as we conclude the eight days of Hanukkah and move move uh, toward the end of the, the civil year. And uh, that will be the, and the beginning of, of the the next next civil year 2022 so thank you all for watching have a good day shalom and see you tomorrow this is letter to philippi live a work of letter to philippi.org shalom